Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey... Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name's Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, And I'm also the founder of Novus Mindful Life Institute Family Counseling and Recovery Center, where we work with people who are dealing with many of life's issues, especially when it comes to addiction, sex addiction, and porn addiction. So if you're looking for help, please look us up. You can find us at theaddictedmind.com forward slash help, and it'll take you to our page. All right, we have a wonderful guest today. Her name is Amy Smith of Worth Recovery. I got to meet her at the ITAP conference, which is the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals. It's the training organization for certified sex addiction therapists. And she was there and uh, I had not heard of her podcast at that point. And so I looked it up and I I listened to it and um, I really kind of fell in love with it. She really brings her heart to this work and her personal experience. And so I asked her, I said, hey, would you mind sharing your wisdom and your knowledge with my listeners? I think they would get a lot out of it. And uh, she said yes. And so we got to do this interview and I, I think you guys will enjoy it. Amy really brings herself to her work and it really comes through in her talking about it. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And let's go ahead and start this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. I have a wonderful guest today. Her name is Amy Smith, and she is going to talk about supporting women in sex addiction recovery. Amy, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Dwayne. So I'm Amy Smith. I'm the founder of Worth Recovery a podcast and a website and coaching services for women in sex addiction. I, just as a personal note, let's see, I'm an educator by trade. 
I have taught in the high school and the university level for several years and also spent decades of my life acting out in sex addiction. And so a few years ago, in 2011, I started my recovery journey. And then in 2016, I started podcasting about my recovery journey and founded Worth Recovery to provide more resources and support for women in sex addiction recovery. Oh, thanks. We actually met at the ITAP conference. That's the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals. And that's where I met you and actually discovered your podcast. And then um, I started downloading and listening to it. And as we were kind of talking earlier, I was just touched by your vulnerability of how much you share about your addiction and your process of recovery. And so I'm just excited to have you on the podcast today to be able to share that with my listeners and to kind of add to that, uh, I guess, that pool of healing. Yeah, yeah. I had a really great time at, um, at ITAP. That's the symposium that for CSAP professionals, for certified sex addiction therapists uh, that they attend. And uh, that has been such a huge part of my own recovery journey is finding the right support, finding a therapist who understood what was going on, who could help me identify that I had a sex addiction. Right. I just knew something needed to change. I knew that something needed to be different. I knew that I struggled to find relationships and to make relationships work. But the idea of a sex addiction had never entered my mind until I found a certified sex addiction therapist and was able to get the support that I needed. And so I was super excited to be there and meet some of like what I would consider the heroes of this movement right. of sex yeah. addiction therapy. Yeah. And be able to talk with them. And uh, I had a few moments of being a little starstruck. I admit that. Uh, but it was it was a really great experience. And and of course, to meet you and, and listen to what you're doing with the addicted mind has has also been a great Great experience for me. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I had the same experience. There's some amazing people there that are just really on the cutting edge and, and sharing all their knowledge. It's, yeah, it's a wonderful experience and mm -hmm. it's great. So I, I'm kind of excited. What, what I'd like to kind of talk about is how did your recovery journey start? Like what was going on and what, what was happening that said, okay, something has to change? Yeah, so for me, my addiction, of course, as probably all addictions have traces in trauma and childhood and, and things like that. For me, though, I would say the pinnacle or the kind of the biggest portion of my acting out was in my later 20s and early 30s. And I was getting to the point where I just, I recognized that I could not make a relationship work. I, ha I would have, I was dating multiple men and taking different things from each one of them and, and not being able to really get make a relationship stick or work and particularly what led to me actually getting into a therapist's office and into a 12-step group where I had two kind of major events happen in the same day for me I had been on this journey of like I need to change and there were some things that I had kind of changed on my own in my own behavior but there was one particular gentleman that I had been acting out with quasi dating. I, I hate calling it dating because it really right. wasn't, but, but that's what we called it. Right. So I had yep. been dating on and off for a number of years and we were talking about getting married and uh, it was kind of this whole, like everything that I wanted was finally kind of laid out in front of me, this path of getting married and having children and having a partner and building a family and having a relationship and building a life. And all of this path, I could see this whole thing laying out in front of me. And I was so excited and, and 
just enthralled and caught up in this whole thing. And then I found out in a call from him that that wasn't actually going to happen because he was already married. Oh my goodness. Had been married the entire time that we had been dating or acting out and um, had children of his own. All of these things that, that I had somehow missed and I had missed all of the clues or anything. And, and I knew I had a problem because when he called me and told me like, this is what's going on and we can't get married. He had a plane flight like a few days later to come visit me when I thought we were going to get engaged. <laughs> and so I told him to come anyway. And that's when I knew I had a problem. When I was like, uh, it's okay, just come and we'll figure it out. And, uh, and I realized like I didn't have the capacity to say no. Right. So that, that was that moment of uh, clarity that yeah. really just kind of hit you. Yeah, I, it really hit me. And then he came and we spent some time together. And uh, over the course of three days, I just realized that I was betraying everything I knew about myself, everything I believed, every value I had, every, every shred of identity that I felt I had in my life, I was betraying. I betrayed over the course of that three days. And by the time he left... I realized that if I didn't do something, get some type of help, I was going to implode and it was not going to be a very good thing for me and my life. And so that same day that I dropped him off at the airport and told him I would see him again and you know everything was great and everything was fine. And I cried driving home and so bad that I pulled over on the freeway on the side. I was in Seattle on the side of the 405 freeway. I pulled over and I said, I, I couldn't drive because I was crying too hard. And I said to myself, I promise I will do something. I will get some type of help. I will do something. And I can really trace kind of my recovery back to that day that that was the day that I promised myself I would do something. It wasn't perfect after that. And I didn't immediately get into therapy, but that started my journey. But you knew you had to make a change. Like there was something yeah. there that said to you, "Yeah, yeah, I got to change. That same exact day after I pulled it together and drove home and crawled into bed, I got a call from my father uh, that he was had been diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. And... My relationship with my dad was rough most of my life. And I had a lot of anger um, towards my dad. And again, there was this piece inside of me that kind of broke and just said, if you don't do something about this anger, he will die and it will destroy you. And, and so those kind of two events on the same day is really what drove me to make a massive change in my life. Wow. It was like the, all those things just came together and you knew you had to do something. Yeah. And I think that uh, one of the interesting things is I had made those promises before to myself, right? Like I think most addicts do have a series of moments where they say to themselves, I'm going to change. I'm going to stop. I'm going to do something different. I'm, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to find myself in that scenario again. I think that we have a number of those moments. I, I know I had a number of those moments. But for this, for some reason, this was the moment that stuck. This was the moment. And it didn't have to stick. Like I talk a lot on my podcast about choosing bottom rather than like bottom, your bottom, your rock bottom being something that happens to you. For me, that was the moment that I chose. I said, okay, this time 
is going to be different. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's so true because a lot of times when we try and change, we have those opportunities where we we say, yeah, this is it. This is it. And then, but then a day later, maybe an hour later, even we're back at the same thing we were at. And we're like, what, what, what's going on? And then we do have somehow some intervention where we have that moment and we go, this is the real change. I, I'm going to do something actually different. Yeah, for sure. Because it change, It takes a lot of changes to make recovery stick. It's not just a you know one day change. It seems a lot of time. Yeah, it seems like a lot of times that's like reaching out for help, like getting yeah for more sure. help than yourself. Because I love the quote. I so I'm a mathematician. That's what I taught in high school, and that's what I studied in school. And but I love the quote by Albert Einstein that he says, uh, "You can't solve your problems with the same thinking you used when you created them." Yeah. And so for me, like a lot of that asking for help was because I had created these problems. You know, my 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 very best thinking is what had gotten me to this place. And and I had to I had to find a new way of thinking. I had to find a new way and um, of being. And that had that required me asking for help. That required looking outside myself and finding other resources to be able to really change my life because my best thinking got me there and I needed someone else's best thinking to be able to get out. Yeah, we can't see ourselves. That's the hard part, right? And that's what I tell a lot of people when we're working. It's like, look, I can't see myself. I need other people to help see me Mm -hmm. and you need other people to help see you. And that way we can get the information we need to make the changes that are going to support us in this this crazy journey we're on. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. Having that outside perspective, that kind of consultation is essential. So one of the questions in reaching out for help, how how is that different? Do you think it's different for women, especially around sex addiction, women reaching out for help versus men reaching out for help? Yeah, that's a great question. So I I was fortunate, I was very fortunate that I lived in an area when I started recovery that had some support for women that looked a little bit differently than it did for men. So I, I see guys like the major differences. So I'll get back to that story in just a second. But I see like the major differences about reaching out. A couple things. One is social acceptability. Right. It's socially acceptable for men to have a sex addiction. It's, it's, what, it's what we say. Like when we say boys will be boys, that's one of the things we're saying is that it's socially acceptable for men to struggle or to want more sex or uh, to act out sexually with women. That's, that's what we're saying when we say those things. And so... Oh, yeah, definitely. And so a man walking into a sex addiction 12-step group or walking into a therapist and saying, I think I have a problem with sex, that's, that's acceptable. That's 100% acceptable. And they see a lot of support for that. A, women, a woman walking into that scenario um, it's it's a night and day difference where a man walks in and they, you say, oh yeah, I have a problem with sex. And everyone says, oh yeah, okay, you're a man. That's that's how it works, right? Right. And yep. a, a woman walking into that scenario, like when I did that, people told me things like, that's not possible. It's not possible that a woman has a problem, like a sex addiction. Like that's that's just not possible. I was told that was not biologically possible. Like I wasn't like biologically, I couldn't have a sex addiction because I was a woman. That had to feel like, I cannot imagine how that had to feel. That had to make you feel so awful, like even worse. Yeah, yeah. 
it's it makes you feel more alone. It makes you feel more isolated. Yeah. It makes you feel more broken than you already feel. I mean, because of the social pressure, women are supposed to be the caretakers of virtue, right? We're supposed right. to be the ones that the chaste ones in the relationship. And, you know, we're supposed to be all these things. And and so to walk in and have professional help tell you like that that's not possible or that can't be true or women don't struggle with that. The shame, it just grows exponentially when you walk into that scenario. And what do, you know, women out there who may be listening, I mean, what are they, you know, how do you handle all that shame? Like, what do you do with it? Uh, so, yeah, that's a good question too. I've, I've learned that, I guess I've learned a couple things. One is for every male sex addict, not every, for most male sex addicts, they're acting out with females, right? Mm-hmm. So usually you're acting out with a woman who also struggles with some type of relationship, sex addiction, intimacy disorder, whatever you want to call it. And so there are a lot of us out there. We just don't talk about it. And so understanding that there are more than just what you see or what is socially um, visible uh, helped me a lot. Yeah. And then also understanding that I had a very, really, a very great skilled therapist at the beginning who helped me frame sex addiction in a way that really helped me understand what was going on um, when he called it an intimacy disorder. Because for, for women, sex addiction can kind of be an umbrella term, but we really talk about the lack of ability to be intimate and not just physically intimate, emotionally intimate, mentally intimate, to be able to really understand that I had taken intimacy and turned it into transactional behaviors. And to really understand that um, really helped with the shame and to dissipate kind of that shame of, I have a sex addiction and that I just want sex all the time, right? That's that's the other thing. Right, right. For women, like I had used that term, sex addict, as a pickup line, right? Like I can go to, like a man can go, can't go to a woman and say, oh, I think I'm a sex addict and have that be sexy. Right. But a woman can go to a man and say, oh, I think I might have a problem with sex addiction. And they say, oh, should we go out? Like, should we date? Right. And so there's this double standard in society about for women. And so it's just really difficult to navigate that. So, you know, what I hear you saying is it's kind of like knowing for, Knowing that you're not a, not alone was was really important in that process, and I, I just want to say, like you talking on this podcast is helping all those people out there not feel what you felt, which was sounds like just I'm alone in this. There's there's no one out there, and then being able to kind of reframe it, seeing it just beyond the the sexuality, but the our ability to connect with other people, and and those two things were really important to kind of see to be able to understand. Yeah. Thanks for summarizing that so concisely. That's absolutely true. And that's the reason why I started my own podcast um, was because there are so many women out there struggling, trying to find help, trying to find resources and feel so very alone. And I, I didn't want that. I wanted to somehow reach those women to help them see that there are other women struggling and we can we can help each other and support each other and in that you're not alone. Yeah. And, and I think that's so much like when you're in addiction and, and you have all that shame 
And you see that other people have struggled with this too. I was thinking about your podcast this morning before we, before we started. And I was thinking about my own journey of healing. And some of the things that were the most healing for me was hearing other people tell their story of struggle. Because I, I felt like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm, str- I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm just not alone here. This is part of being human. This is part of this journey. And, and so it's like, I, I just imagine so many people listening to your story feeling that as well. Because that was really critical to my own recovery and, and work on myself was, yeah, hearing those stories, other people talking and being open about it. And I was just thinking about that. I was thinking about you and I was thinking about our interview today. And that was one of the thoughts that came to my mind. Yeah, thank you. I, that's one of, I have the same experience. I always talk about how when I hear another woman's story in sex addiction, there's a little piece of me that heals. Yeah. Because I hear them speak to some of the same issues that I had and that whole concept of not being alone. And when I tell my story, when I'm able to share my story with women, there's also another little piece of me that heals every time. Because in that connection with other people, I find healing. And that is one of the goals of the Worth Recovery Podcast. We have a whole page of women's stories. And every brave woman that will allow me to, I record and talk to them about their story and their experiences. And and we put them out there for other women to be able to hear and listen and gain strength and healing from. Because like you, that has been a huge piece of my story. Right, right. So what in your healing journey? I mean, you, here you were on the side of the road and you and you got help and you finally you got you found some help, you got some good help that really supported you to doing a podcast. So what what motivated you to do this podcast and start this process and what's been the response? Yeah. Um so I started my recovery journey when I was living in Seattle. And we had there a women's meeting, like a women's only meeting uh, for sex addiction. And I was able to immediately connect with women who struggled with the same issues and concerns and addiction that I did. I was immediately able to find a very competent CSAT therapist who was able to call it what it was and give me the direction and guidance and things that I needed. And I just kind of like plugged into this whole network of help. And I, it was, it was amazing. And I lived there for about two years um, into recovery. And then because of some family situations, I moved to Salt Lake City, Utah, which is where I currently live. And I assumed that (laughs) there would be the same amount of support and help when I showed up here looking for help for women in sex addiction recovery. And there was not. There was not at all. There was really no help for women. Um, I attended meetings here for, I think about three months before I ever saw another woman in sex addiction, like 12-step meetings, before I even saw another woman in sex addiction. And finding a therapist was also challenging, someone who would believe me. Um, I had therapists who didn't believe that I had a sex addiction or that that was a thing even. And so I showed up here assuming that I could just plug back into another network and there wasn't anything. And that was devastating for me. And I would call my sponsor every week and be like, I can't believe this. Like, I can't believe this. And she was amazing and would say, 
Well, Amy, that sounds like a really great opportunity for you to do something. Right. <laughs> and That's it was, not what I want to hear. Right. That was not what I wanted to hear, right? <laughs> um, I didn't want to have to be the pioneer. I didn't want to have to be yeah. the one to start something or, or make something happen. I just wanted to plug into a network. And that was not available. And so after several months of her explaining the wonderful opportunity that was available to me, I started a women's meeting here for sex addicts and it was small and we met just at my house. We only did it once a month for a while until we built up some people who wanted some women who wanted a weekly meeting. And then we started a weekly meeting and, and so we did that. Um, And so we've kind of grown this, this network of women in the Salt Lake city area uh, to support each other in sex addiction. And part of that was, When I showed up to these meetings week after week after week, when I first got here and it was all men, I mean, this one meeting I attended about 40 people and me and 39 men. And that's devastating. And some of the things that were said to me at that meeting were ridiculous. And I I got told like uh, things like, oh, I'm so sad that you moved here because women in Utah just don't recover. I don't oh really know gosh. what was meant by that. Or I also got told uh, at that meeting that uh, that they were that I wouldn't be able to hold on to my sobriety now that I lived in Utah. And I don't really know what those comments meant or what they were trying to say to me, but it started a fire inside of me that said, "Women need more help. Women need more support. Women need more." more resources uh, because if men are going to run the resource world, then we're not going to get what we need. Right. Wow. And so it was just a few years later, a couple of years later that I had started to grow this network for women and it didn't feel like enough. I felt like there, there was something more inside of me to give. And I felt like there was some, there were women out there in the world that didn't live in Salt Lake city, Utah or Seattle, Washington and needed help. And so I thought, okay, what if I told my story on a podcast? And it felt so right and so true. And even now, as I speak those words, like I just get emotional thinking about that day when I decided that that's what needed to happen. And so within a week, I had started my first episode. Wow, that, that is like a, a definition of courage. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I remember um, I I see an amazing therapist here. It took some time to find her, but I see an amazing therapist here. And I remember her asking me like, okay, so if you're going to do that, like what's what's success going to look like for you? Like, what is it going to mean for you to be successful on this podcast? And I remember thinking, okay, if 20 people outside of Utah listened to my podcast, because I knew that the people here would listen. Right. But if 20 people outside of Utah listened to my podcast, then I would consider that success. 20 people. If 20 women listened, that would be successful to me. And I had to really quickly reset my level of success because within about five hours, I had 20 people listen to my episode. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I was just floored. And um, and it just continued to grow since then. We currently average almost about 600, just a little bit shy of 600 downloads a day of the podcast. And, and it's that's just... That's amazing. I mean, that just shows you like uh, this information is wanted so and needed so badly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I knew there was a little bit of a hole for women in recovery and resources, 
What I didn't know was that was like a massive black hole. I just didn't know how big that hole was. And so being able to provide even just a smallest, a small thing like the podcast for women to listen to um, feels really amazing to be able to contribute to that because I know how alone I felt. Wow. Wow, Amy, that's such a, such a great story and, and such a story of hope and just courage and uh, what, what a thing to, to give back to so many people. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been hard. I will say that. I I put it out there on the internet and uh, for the first, I don't know, three or four weeks, I was like, oh, I'm taking this down. Like, I, I can't believe I did this. Like, I can't <laughs> believe that I put that out there. And, um, and what if, what if people find it that know me, but don't know about my addiction and like they listen to it and, and then I like out myself to the whole world. And like, I go through these complex scenarios, right. Of anxiety about what could happen. And, yep. and then I just remind myself that if someone is, finds it and listens to it, then that's probably because they're looking for something like that. And if they need that resource and I'm able to provide it and they know me, then Awesome. Yeah, and I think the realization that there's a lot of supportive people out there. Mm -hmm. I think it, when we're in addiction, we're isolated, and we don't realize that there are people out there that can care and that can support us in this journey. And putting ourselves out there allows that to happen too. Yeah, absolutely. We can't. I just did an episode a couple of months ago, like the courage to be known, right? Because I think that in in, in addiction, like you said, we isolate ourselves so much that we don't put our authentic self out there. We don't allow people to see who we are or to actually know us. And because we don't allow that, we also don't allow the support that they could offer or could bring to our lives. And, and I think it takes a lot of courage to be known, to allow ourselves to be known to people around us. Yeah, definitely. So I, I want to because we're running to the to the end of our time here. Okay. I, I, what would you if someone is listening to this podcast to the Addicted Mind, and and maybe a woman out there who's struggling with sex addiction? What would you want to tell them? What would be the message you'd want to give them? Yeah. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. The message I have for women is that you are worth recovery. You're one hundred percent worth it. I think that women struggle the most with the idea that I'm worth that effort or that I've done so much. Um, I've gone so far. I, I've betrayed myself in every way possible. And now I have a whole lot of hard work in front of me to be able to even regain a piece of that. And, and I just want you to know that you are worth that effort. 100% worth it. And if you don't believe that, you can rely on my knowledge of that until you believe that for yourself. Because every woman in this world is worth that effort and that healing. Oh, thank you for saying that. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people out there to get that support. Yeah. So how can people, if, if someone's listening and they want to find out more about you, how can they find you or contact you or get in touch with you or find out more information. Great. So you can just email me directly, amy, A-M-Y at worthrecovery.com. Um, or you can go to the website, worthrecovery.com, W-O-R-T-H, and then there's the word recovery.com. There's uh, information there about how to contact me, um, about some of the things that we do. This year in 2018, we have the, uh, the Courage Conference going on. So uh, we're doing four events throughout the United States for women in recovery. These are just one-day workshops where we get together and we talk about 
the courage that it takes to engage in recovery. And some of, we have therapists come and give us some information on tools and tips on how to stay engaged in recovery and to find that courage to make it happen. And then we have other women in recovery show up and share a little bit of their stories. So we have three events coming up uh, later this year uh, in Buffalo, New York, in Atlanta, Georgia, and then in Seattle, Washington. So all that information is on the website and I would love to hear from any of your listeners. We have, I should say also, uh, Dwayne, as much as this message has resonated with women, I do have a male following. I hear from a lot of male sex addicts who are appreciative of the woman's voice in this this area in sex addiction in general. And so we would love to hear, I'd love to hear from any of you. Oh, that's awesome. I think that's so true because when I was listening to your podcast, it, it spoke to me. I mean, it is, it's it's all of us. It's It's about our humanity, though it may be different in different ways and our different experiences as a male and a female in our culture and everything like that. It's a, you know, it is a message of connection. Yeah, I think a big part of the healing that happens probably in some of those later stages of recovery is between men and women, is between the sexes. I know for me at the beginning, I I needed the support of women who had had my same experience or had similar experiences, a lot more similar than being a male growing up in this world. And, and so I needed that. And then... I also needed to bridge that gap between what I believed about men and what I believed about women and what I believed about connection and relationship between them. And and that took some time, but definitely a major part of my own journey and healing. Yeah, I can reiterate that. I think that's so true. So Amy, I, I want to thank you for just coming on to the podcast and being a part of it and sharing your story and being here and, and uh, just doing what you're doing. Thanks. I... I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much. And thanks for the work that you're doing oh, as well. Thanks. And everybody, I will include links in the in the show notes as well. So you can check it out on the website, theaddictedmind.com. And all the information will be there. So once again, Amy, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Dwayne. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. All the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 38. Once again, if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with others or rate and review us in iTunes. That really does help and I really appreciate it. Also, if you have any topics you would like to have on the podcast, just go to theaddictedmind.com and leave me a message and um, I will look into seeing how we can answer those questions on the podcast as well. Please leave any comments on any of these podcast episodes. I'd love to hear from you guys. I'd love to hear what you guys are thinking, what's valuable to you and what's meaningful to you. So, all right, until next week, have a wonderful day.
I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.